as we worship in this combined service with our Spanish congregation, our English congregation, if you need translation, you're not going to be able to count on me for that, uh, Spanish translation. But there are headsets uh, back in the back, and Patsy is being kind enough to give simultaneous translation. So if you need Spanish translation, head to the lobby and find a headset, and you'll be able to follow along with the message this morning. We live in, uh, nearly all of us, I think, we live in some kind of inherent disconnect about our own perception of our importance to the world. If you remember, all of us who are parents, we had, at one time or another, we had the responsibility to remind our children, it seemed to happen often on Christmas Day, you're not the center of the universe. It seemed like Hunter's got that figured out from his replies to Roman's questions earlier. But that's not just a problem children have. We, we recognize that at any moment there are billions of other people walking the face of the earth But don't you sometimes come to the conclusion by your actions and by your attitudes that you're the most important person that's ever existed? I think that's a reality we all struggle with. I think of that, especially in our day and time, because of what the celebrity culture does to us. I think about how much attention is paid to some people. It seems a little out of balance. You know, we're we're neighbors. You may not realize it, surely you all know it, but we're neighbors of Harry and Meghan, you know, the, one of the prince. He, he lives near us. He's our neighbor, right? Is he, is she any more important than we are? But on the other hand, are we more important than they? You see, one of the ways that Christmas awakens us is the fact that God's economy doesn't typically work the way our economy works. That God's way of ordering the world is not exactly the way we tend to think. And maybe nearly all of us get this. I mean, we know it, but how easily we forget it. Especially in our relationships or especially in our disappointments, especially perhaps in either our darkest days or sometimes in our happiest days. We seem to think that the universe exists for our pleasure for our purposes, and we seem to think that we're pretty important people. One of the striking things about the Christmas story, about the biblical record of the nativity, this historical record of the birth of the King of Kings, is that there are terribly ordinary people involved. The ordinary people who are part of the account, Mary and Joseph, they were unrecognized, unnoticed, passed over in the culture in which they lived. And that perhaps, as you think about the ordinary people in the Christmas story, there is no more ordinary character than the shepherds. They were ordinary people. And I want us to turn our attention to the shepherds because whether you want to hear it or not, you're pretty ordinary too. We're all just pretty ordinary. But people just like us are in the Christmas story, and it can make a difference the way we live. So let's read that. It's in the book of Luke chapter 2, the story of the shepherds on that wonderful night long ago when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, and we could read the whole chapter, but we won't. We'll start in verse 8, so please follow along from the Word of God. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And let's remind ourselves of this story of the ordinary shepherds and how they were changed that night long ago. 
Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And I remind you, as I do every Lord's Day, this is God's Word for us today. God's Word. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Our text begins in verse 15 this morning. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Shepherding was a pretty common occupation in Palestine 2,000 years ago. And shepherds were perhaps the most ordinary of ordinary people. Some have said that in those days, shepherds were considered on the level of thieves. There are some commentators who think that shepherds couldn't even give testimony in a trial because they were inherently untrustworthy in that culture. That might be an overreading of history. We're not quite sure that's the case. There is some evidence also that they were considered unclean, literally unclean, because they worked with sheep all day, and therefore that meant ritually or spiritually or religiously unclean. Evidently, there's a saying from this time that goes this way, he who walks where the sheep walk has difficulty keeping his feet clean. Common sense but a perception that was overlaid onto shepherds, evidently. And all of this, the ordinariness of shepherds, it would have been particularly true, and ironically so, of the religious establishment. Because if you know anything about the religion of Israel 2,000 years ago, if you know anything about what we call the Old Testament, sheep were necessary for their religion. There was a regular routine of sacrifices, and so these shepherds, who were considered, in a sense, outsiders, were surely considered ordinary people. They were some of the most crucial individuals for the ongoing health and practice of the religion of Israel. They were considered regular guys, looked down upon, uneducated, but they were hard workers, unsophisticated, but surely they had common sense. It was a lonely profession. It was often passed down from father to son. They were insignificant. They were usually forgotten, especially on the broader earthly stage. But again, if you know your Bible, the Bible's filled with shepherds. 
All the way back to Genesis, Abel was a shepherd. You go further into the Old Testament, Abraham shepherded sheep. You have Moses in his exile, he was a shepherd. You even have King David, who though he was a king, he began as a shepherd boy, didn't he? It's one of the reasons he wrote that beautiful psalm that we all know so well, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus, even though Jesus was also of a rather ordinary social strata, he was a carpenter, a workman by trade, the same career that his father had had, Jesus self-identifies as a shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. So, even though in that society, shepherds were overlooked, dismissed, they missed out on power and prestige, they were not the important people, this reality, beginning with Abel and going through Abraham and Moses and David, the greatest names of the Old Testament, they were all shepherds. That should awaken us to something. At the very least, it should awaken us to the fact that God's economy doesn't work the way we think that God tends to turn everything upside down. That the things that we chase after, we tend to respect, we tend to give attention to, the, the things that we think often, we think give our lives the most meaning. In God's economy, all of that is turned upside down. And when God chooses to change the world, it's not that He excludes people of wealth or influence, and we thank God that He doesn't, it's not that they're excluded, but God is delighted to use regular people like you, like me. That's one of the things the Christmas story tells us. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who said the true Christian religion does not begin at the top as all other religions do, but it begins at the bottom. It begins in a stable. It begins with a lonely couple Far from home, it begins with shepherds on a hillside. And one thing is certain. If you still have your Bibles open there to Luke 2, look with me at verse 18. It says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Listen carefully. Those shepherds, they were changed that night by this good news of great joy. The shepherds of long ago, they were changed. Something happened to them that shifted their whole approach to life. It changed the way they talked. It changed the way they acted. It changed everything thereafter. Because we'll come back to this a couple of times this morning, but if you can just imagine, when shepherds started to tell this story, I mean, shepherds don't talk this way. These were not the kinds of stories that shepherds would typically tell. But they were changed by what they saw. And they were changed by what they experienced. They were changed by this good news. And it was redemption's message that changed them. They were Jews. They knew about Messiah. Regardless of how educated or uneducated, regardless of how devout or undevout, as Jewish citizens living under the oppressive rule of Rome, they knew what you and I would call the Old Testament. And they knew that God had promised to send a deliverer, the anointed one, we would call him Messiah, and they were waiting, and they were watching, and they got news. Of all the people on the earth, they got news that hillside that dark night long ago that it had happened. And this good news of great joy, 
change them. And that's what the gospel ought to do. The gospel changes us. If your life has never been changed, then you've likely never heard the gospel. You've never responded to the good news because you can't really, you can't really recognize what God does in Jesus Christ and ever be the same. The gospel changes us. And not only that, I think we have to be honest about it. But while many of us have had lives changed by the gospel, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we drift back into our routine. Sometimes we even recognize that that passion and that joy and that wonder from that first time that we found forgiveness for our sins, the first time we really recognized what Jesus Christ had done, He did for us, sometimes we forget that. We get distracted, we get busy with the busyness of life, we neglect the wonder of the change that comes because of this good news. It's Christmas morning. We've come together, but is it still possible that you've forgotten? You've forgotten what it was like to live in darkness? Is it possible you've forgotten what it was like to have no ultimate hope? Is it possible you've forgotten what it's like to experience the joy of knowing that death no longer has power over you? Have you forgotten this good news of great joy? And can we go back For some of us, my story, 50, 55 years ago. For some of us, perhaps it's only a brief time, but is it possible for us to go back and retrieve again? Is it possible for us to to reflect and to remember and even to retrieve this great joy that comes from this great news? I hope we can do that this morning because Christmas is great news. Like the shepherds long ago, let me ask you five quick questions. Can we, like the shepherds long ago, will we acknowledge, first of all, the gospel, its divine origin, its source, the fact that this message that we talk about, the message that is great joy of of, of great peace and uh, good news of great joy, do we recognize it's not man-made, it comes from God? The shepherds recognize that. Look with me in verse 15. It says, When they went away from them, the angels, when the angels went away from the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which we've thought up on our own. Is that what it says? Which we've imagined out of our creativity, which we've concocted out of the traditions of the fathers. Is that what it says? No, it says, Let us go and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. You know, one of our great stumbling blocks. One of the places, it's like a path that diverges and we go one way instead of another and we find ourselves in darkness and in hopelessness is we forget the fact that God has made Himself known. And when we chase after human philosophy or we're trying to be Accept, get the approval or the acceptance of the people around us, many times we can devalue and hold as secondary this incredible mystery that God is the one who gives us this good news. 
Shepherds didn't do that. Now, you and I, perhaps you're sitting there, you're saying, well, sure, the angels had just woken them up on a hillside, right? But you and I were awakened no less dramatically. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God grips your heart, enlightens you. When the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you're a sinner, that you're in need, and yet God loves you through Jesus Christ, that's no less a miracle. And the message of great news, good news of great joy, it's of divine origin. You see, the question is whether you buy that. Whether you believe that God interrupted history. Whether you believe that a little over 2,000 years ago, literally, in the Middle East, in Palestine, in that part of the world, God stepped into history in a dramatic way, and the world has never been the same. That's the reason we're here this morning. And all of the effects, including the idea that there are Christmas trees, and there are lights, and there are songs that we all recognize, even Mariah Carey. There are all of those kinds of songs. The world is basically saying something unusual happened on Christmas. Something unusual happened 2,000 years ago. And my question to you and to me this morning is will we acknowledge this divine origin of this good news? The second question is not only should we recognize its divine origin, but when we think about this gospel, we should affirm the fact that there's an urgency that's built in. There's an urgency to it. Look at how they respond. It says in verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They hurried. Now, why did they hurry? Because this is the good news they've been waiting for. You know that song, we didn't sing it this morning, but we've sung it this month already, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? That represents the passion of the people of God, the Jews in the ancient world. God had said He would send a deliverer. When would He come? And now He shows up, and so there's urgency about it. That's not the kind of news you just put your hand in your pocket, and you sit back, and you have another cup of coffee, and you say, we're going to think about all the implications of that. There's an urgency to this. God has interrupted history. The Savior has come. The one has come who will give new life and new hope. He will bring an end to the darkness, the darkness that rules. There's an urgency to it. And there's a sense that what they were witnessing, they knew its importance. They knew how crucial it was. Listen carefully. I'm all for casual worship services. This is as dressed up as I get here at Calvary Baptist, all right? And so I don't think the idea of how we dress is necessarily the issue, but there is a problem when we take the gospel with a level of casualness that neglects its importance. We act as though it's just another aspect of life. They recognized history's changed, and they responded in a hurry. It's as though they ran to Bethlehem. I wonder, do we recognize how urgent it is? This is good news. That brings me to the next point. Because like them, we also need to accept this heavy responsibility. What's the responsibility? Look in verse 17. When they saw it, that is what was going on in the manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child In other words, now they had a responsibility. How could they remain silent about such great news? 
great news, now listen carefully, great news that the world was dying, and when I say dying, literally dying to hear. The world needed this good news. I could argue that there's a sense in which the fact that you and I know the gospel, it began with those shepherds sharing the good news that night. It's a chain that began 2,000 years ago. There's all kinds of mystery to that in God's providence. And God does what He wants to do with the message of the gospel. But listen carefully. Once you hear it, you have a level of responsibility. Privilege brings responsibility. And they'd been told this good news. And here's what I want you to think about on this issue of the responsibility we have. The shepherds were still shepherds. They hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't been... No one had laid hands on them and made them elders, right? They weren't pastors. They were still shepherds. Relatively untrained. Even the most educated of them likely could not have answered all the questions of the skeptics. But what did they tell? They just told what they knew. In fact, let me say it this way. They told what had happened to them. And how many of us, how many of us, we have this great responsibility because God has moved into our lives and, and Jesus has forgiven us and we know what life is about. We know the answer to sin and death and yet we never share the good news because we're intimidated that somebody might ask us a question that we can't answer. Someone might challenge us in a way that would embarrass us. And so our conclusion is, you know what? It's better to stay quiet. You know, give him the phone number of the pastor. We'll let him answer all the questions, right? Shepherds didn't do that. And they couldn't have explained all of the mysterious theological implications of the hypostatic union, the mystery that Jesus was both God and man. They didn't get that while they were there in the manger or in the stable. They just went out and told the news. Can you do that? Can you say, this is what God did for me? Can you say, I'm not sure what you believe. I don't know what works for you, but let me tell you what God does for me. Now, nothing I'm saying is an excuse for us to remain ignorant. I think we always ought to be growing. We always ought to be seeking to more deeply understand the truth. But if we stop living out and sharing the good news until we can answer everybody's questions, you know when we'll start talking? Never. And the shepherds, they accepted this responsibility. They, they went out and they just told what had happened to them. Because after all, that's what a witness does. You, you, I mean, think about it in a trial. What does a witness do? A witness is there just to testify what they know or what they've seen. The witness isn't responsible to convince the jury. The witness isn't responsible to persuade the judge. The witness isn't responsible to answer every objection. A witness is called to the stand, and if you're called to the stand as a witness, all you're really allowed to do is to say, this is what I know. This is what's happened to me. And that's our responsibility, just like it was the shepherds. There's this divine origin. The gospel comes from heaven. This is God interrupting history. There's an urgency to it, and that brings us to a responsibility. But we'd be remiss if we didn't notice what they were left with. Will we adopt the new worldview, the new outlook that the shepherds adopted? 
I'm going to suggest to you that the shepherds' lives were never the same. And the only reason I say that is because look at what happens. We'll skip down. Verse 19 talks about Mary's response and pondering all of this. But look at verse 20. It says, and the shepherds returned. We'll talk about that. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What did the shepherds do? I just think this is astonishing. The shepherds get visits from angels, and they go see the birth of the Messiah. And what's the next thing they do? They go back to shepherding because they've got responsibilities. I always wonder what happens to the sheep when all the shepherds run off to Bethlehem. I worry about that kind of stuff, right? (laughs) But they go back. Going back is not a bad thing. I think sometimes some of you hear preachers like me talk, and we talk about responsibility, we talk about urgency, and our expectation is that you all sell everything you have and go out to the mission field far, far away. No, the shepherds went back to their lives. They went back to the sheep. They went back to the, the, the sheep brokers. They went back to taking the lambs to Jerusalem. They went back to their life, but they went back to their lives with a whole new perspective on what life was about. It was a whole new worldview. The Messiah is here. If you're a Jew 2,000 years ago and you really believe that Messiah is born, your life is never the same. You've been waiting for that for generations, for centuries. But they went back. They went back with a different worldview. And how is the worldview described? Glorifying and praising God. They went back and they were never the same. And all they did was they, they lived out their experience, which was basically a new way of seeing the world, because now God had finally brought to fruition those promises that they had waited on. And the response, you can see it in verse 18. Go back up and look at verse 18 for a minute. It says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Because what did I say? This doesn't sound like shepherds. The kind of stuff they're saying doesn't sound like what a shepherd would say. There's a poem that expresses the skepticism their neighbors probably had. It goes like this. There are men I know who say they talked with angels on a hill last night. These men are simple shepherd folk, most assuredly wrong, though they say that the angel told them of a birth, a princely birth it seems. And they all agree the angels sang, but... They can't describe the singing. Although the words peace, goodwill, and glory were surely sung, they say, these men, my friends, were likely dreaming. The night was cold and long, and night skies are dark, and stars can sometimes fool you. Still, they've never talked this way before. Because the shepherds were changed that night by something that indeed was real. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered what happened to those shepherds? I mean, we read the Bible and we forget this, but 30 years went by. They saw a baby they believed was Messiah. The family, you know the story, the family went down into Egypt and then ended up in Nazareth. What about those shepherds? I mean, for, 
For 30 years, they, they lived, they cared for their sheep. What were those weeks and months and years that followed? What were they like? What memories did they carry? What questions did they ask? Because get this now, they had seen and believed that deliverance was there. And surely their question was, where'd it go? What happened to it? Think about them. They're shepherds. So on a regular basis, they would take their flocks and travel the six miles or so from Bethlehem up to the Temple Mount. And they would take little lambs that would there be purchased and then slaughtered in anticipation that God would someday provide for the forgiveness of sins. And all those six miles as they carried those little lambs and as they took them and handed them to the priest, in the back of their mind they wondered, when will when will these sacrifices come to fruition? When will Messiah finally come? Because remember, we saw Him. We knelt down and, and worshipped by a feeding trough five years ago, ten years ago, two decades ago, 30 years ago. What memories did they have of that night? What questions did they ask? And then what was it like, 30 years later, when they heard that there was some wild, radical preacher that was down near the River Jordan? And this guy, they called him John Baptist because he was baptizing people. And he didn't baptize Jews. He only baptized Gentiles. But here, Jews were being baptized as a demonstration of the repentance of their sins. And then you heard the story your ears would have really perked up. You heard the story that one day his cousin, who was some itinerant rabbi from up in Galilee, and his cousin was there by the River Jordan, and John, this baptizer, looks at Jesus and points to him and says, this is the Lamb of God. You're a shepherd. So you pay attention to lambs. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And don't you believe in your heart? And don't you believe to everybody you knew? You'd go, finally! It was 30 years ago. And here he is, and you might not have yet understood, but, but would you have realized that the Son of God was also the Lamb of God, and therefore it was appropriate that he was born in a stable? Would you have connected the idea that, that the shepherds they as shepherds would have recognized, would you have thought about the fact that there's a suffering lamb, that this lamb would shed his blood? And you have to wonder if they stood on a hillside that day outside Jerusalem and they watched as the Lamb of God, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, hung between heaven and earth and shed his blood. And as you watch that blood drop into the Judean sand, you surely would have thought, that's just like a lamb whose throat is slit. In the temple, there's blood being shed. And it surely would have all come together. This baby Messiah, the anointed one, who would somehow bring redemption between sinners and a holy God, he's the lamb of God. 
who takes away the sin of the world, just like little lambs would set aside the wrath of God when their blood was shed in faith. And you would have recognized that the whole point of that night 30 years ago was that God was here redeeming and rescuing sinners like you and sinners like me. Because do you get that? Christmas has no meaning. Christmas is the merest and emptiest sentimentality if you don't recognize that Jesus was born to die. That He came to give His life for sinners. And we, when we say sinners, once again, we're not talking about politicians in Washington. And we're not talking about movie people in Hollywood. And we're not talking about mafia in Las Vegas. I don't know if that's still true, but anyway. Now we're talking about people like you and me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's the gospel. And you've take, taken the trouble to come to church on Christmas Sunday. But if you've never yielded your heart to Jesus Christ in repentance, if you've never accepted for yourself the substitute that Jesus Christ represents, that He took your sin and died in your place, the greatest gift you could ever receive would be to receive the gift of eternal life today. We'd love to help you with that. Because that's really what Christmas is about. This is that Good news of great joy. What is it? Well, it's up in verse 11. We read it briefly. This was the message from that cold night long ago. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, and they would have understood that Messiah, who is Messiah the Lord. Like the shepherds here on this Christmas day, Will you remember with me that this gospel is good news? It is good news. And like them, will you with me? Will you continue to praise and glorify God for all that we've seen and heard? Because that's the issue. How is this good news of great joy impacting your life today? Not just today, not just Christmas morning. But on any random Tuesday, uh, perhaps in the mundane hassles of life, or maybe even in the disastrous troubles of life, is your life grounded on this good news of great joy? Because Christmas and all that it means changes everything. Songwriter said it this way. Christmas is coming to the place where you would least expect to find anything you want and instead find everything you ever hoped for. What good news this is. What good news of great joy this is. Let's rejoice in it. Let's live it. Like the shepherds, let's be willing to share it because that's really the reason we're here. And when we do, others will look at our lives 
And they'll say, they've never talked this way before. Others will wonder because the gospel changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for stories like this. Thank you that you are willing to step into history 2,000 years ago by sending your Son, and you're willing to step into our lives today to draw us back to yourself, to restore us if we've wandered away, and you are willing, Father, for any who are here under the sound of my voice, any who have never in a personal way put their hope and faith in Jesus, we know that you're willing to interrupt their lives as well. Father, we give you praise today. Our hearts are filled with great joy because of this good news. May we remember it, reflect upon it, and may we allow it to affect the way we live every day. We pray these things in the name of this little baby who grew to be the perfect man who offered himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and then who conquered death and resurrection and who now reigns, even though this world is in rebellion, he reigns today as King of the universe. In his glorious name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.